0: listening to Discography Discussion, episode 179,
1: Still Remains. Hosted by Dan Terry. At some point in the future, I'll get a care package from John. I usually get it two to three months after he says it's coming. John Beatty of Brutally Speaking.
2: Guys ready for the sweet, sweet sounds of CKY?
0: And Joseph Wren. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the new show presented by DiscussMetal.com. Dan is a fucking chill. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds to me like I just eat some on-point pomade. Presented by DiscussMetal.com And if the worst is yet to come But John Beatty is already here Then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion I am Joe, that is Dan John Beatty is here from Brutally Speaking Hello Yes, you said that three times now (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to get the point across that uh, John is here
1: Yeah, but I I mean Grand Rapids, Michigan. You're not uh, from there, actually. You just no, live I'm there. not. Yeah, I just yeah. Live here. but uh, yeah, it's not I'm, a place,
2: but a state of mind.
1: Uh, I, I also am from the brutally speaking podcast. Um, I, occasionally, I show up on there. I do, do interviews with bands with bands from Norway, and we we have to decide whether or not we're going to actually release the interview because I did it. <laughs> I, I did the whole thing in 20 minutes in an echo chamber, and um, and then like. For some reason, the episode's doing decently well. Uh, for whatever reason, um, so you know, here, here we are, and I, I am a little happier to be back in my comfort zone talking about uh, Still Remains and talking about their contributions to the new wave of American heavy metal. And uh, so, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into all of that stuff, and uh, we brought John on tonight because these guys are kind of John's uh, hometown heroes absolutely did i properly explain that john is on the podcast today i think somewhere i'm
2: always on a podcast dan and i are just always on a podcast that is that has to be known if we're not on a podcast the world is not turning
1: or we might be dead you might want to look into it because like seriously no, we buddy, already
2: interviewed them we already interviewed them dan right, right. that.
1: oh yeah we did interview Dad. uh God, you know it's terrible. it's weird because uh you know we <laughs> totally derailed from that um Yeah, it's hilarious because my buddy Kyle sent me a text message like two minutes ago and was like, "Hey man, I'm I'm loading up Streets of Rage four right now. You know, you want to jump in for some for some co-op?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm doing a podcast right now." (laughs) And that's like every single text, like to the point where if I type the letter I into my phone, it will just it will auto generate that sentence like immediately. And so yeah, it's it's getting getting a little rough. I mean, we got what discography discussion, discuss metal. Drift Blast, Movie Mosh, Brutally Speaking Podcast, and then, you know, there was that time I was on As the Story Grows and uh, the Matters Podcast and the Nerf Herder console Podcast. You can pretty much be guaranteed that I'm doing something podcast-related most of the time. I'd like to take this opportunity to
0: announce the new show by DiscussMetal.com. Dan takes a vacation after
1: Joe edits these five weeks' worth of shows. That sounds pretty sweet. I could finally dig into Borderlands 3 properly. That that would be fantastic. I have just
2: finally started getting into Last of Us 2, and I pre-ordered it, and I've had the last four weeks off, and I've been doing so much podcast shit, I just finally got through everything that we
0: have, so now I'm able to play the video games that I've been wanting to. You both need to figure out how to play the game while editing the show. It's a I skill. Actually take- <laughs> oh man,
1: that, ex- that explains so much. Doesn't um, it? Anyway. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it really it answers a lot of questions. Uh, you know, the thing about Still Remains is that they were a band that I caught on to because they were they were playing at Cornerstone one year. They were playing like 10 feet away from where my tent was set up. And um, I remember just hearing keyboards, like really loud, annoying keyboards. And, like, I was trying to sleep because, like, I, for whatever reason, I couldn't sleep the night before. Um, I had seen a bunch of bands play, and I slept, like, garbage for, like, two or three hours. Um, and then was just, like, up, like, slugging coffee uh, in, like, 97-degree morning. Like, like you're talking 8 a.m., 97 degrees, humid, and I'm drinking, like, hot coffee uh, just to stay awake. And, um, and then I hear this loud, piercing, annoying keyboard. And I think it was just because they were setting up. Um, and eventually eventually the band started to play, and I was like, well, I mean, I'm not sleeping now, so I, uh, I, I got up, and I walked over, and, uh, and I watched them play, and uh, it really, I remember the first thing I thought was, oh my goodness, this is like Under Oath back before they, like, like back before they, you know, were, were, were like, they're only chasing safety Under Oath. It was like metalcore, uh with growling vocals and keyboards so many keyboards and um and just so much melody like they they were really really energetic uh for how hot it was and uh evidently they had all gotten much better sleep than i had and uh and they put on a great show their cornerstone and so i picked up their uh, i picked up their ep which we are not going to talk about tonight
2: of note though from that the lineup change just so everyone's aware that is important because now you have Mike Church in the band on of Love and Lunacy at this point. They're, they're clean vocalist, So,
1: yeah, it's kind of weird because I I don't remember them. There being any clean vocals at that show whatsoever.
2: No, at that point, that would have been uh, Jordan Gilliam uh, on guitar and Jordan Whalen. So at that point, uh, yeah, the, the guitar player swapped out and they ended up getting Mike Church, who has a very lovely singing voice um, and a really nice compliment to Jordan Whalen. Uh, his guitar playing, so that's that is of note because if you go for those who have never heard "If Love Was Born to Die," the EP, and you've only heard "Of Love and Lunacy" forward, you're gonna, I think, be a little surprised <laughs> by that EP because it does not sound like a. I mean, there are a couple songs that are on the EP that made it onto the full length, but by and far it's it's a little bit of a different band at that point
1: yeah you're not wrong about that i mean the ep was uh the ep was a little bit more raw obviously and i think obviously that has more to do with like money and budget and, <laughs> and, and all that good stuff you know i know i know we constantly say on this show like oh it sounds so good because it sounds so raw at least i say that joe just like starts laughing and can't can't catch his breath but uh you know i think love was born to die was a really really cool ep and definitely got me interested in the band and they dropped of love and lunacy not not too far after that well before john
0: hijacks the show to talk about pomades and ipas i'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast thank you for listening and for subscribing if you are not a subscriber then you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. we're on spotify apple and google podcasts TuneIn radio stitcher so if you have an amazon echo or a google home you have no excuse ask it to play the latest episode of the discography discussion podcast and it will we're also on facebook and on twitter at discuss metal be sure to like favorite and subscribe it really helps us out it lets us know you're listening and now dan is going to
1: tell us all about five star reviews Uh, Yeah, I mean, five-star reviews are a thing that podcasts always ask for. And uh, so, yeah, it'd be cool if you left us one on one of your various podcast apps. You don't have to. Uh, Honestly, I enjoy it when you guys share the episodes. Uh, I enjoy reaching out, you guys commenting, getting to talk about it. I also really, really love it when you do an episode and one of you guys is like, dude, you guys are completely wrong on this, and and here's why. And every now and again, I will listen to your well-worded argument. And I will say, you know what? That's fair. Um, I won't necessarily agree with you because uh, I'm heavily opinionated. But um, I appreciate the love that comes comes with that correction process. And so, I, so uh, yeah, keep, keep those coming, guys. I, I, again, I, I enjoy disagreements because I'm an argumentative person. And uh, so it, it really, really helps kind of stroke that for me. And uh, speaking of comments and emails, we got a really awesome email from Paul Boyd uh just a couple days ago he says hey guys i heard about your podcast when dan was on as the story grows thank you and i'm like 25 episodes in i'm a bit older than you i was in ninth grade when Kill 'Em all and show no mercy came out and i'm kind of amazed at your love for the old school thrash i also have to thank you profusely for talking about adam ship because i never would have heard that amazing record otherwise you're welcome for the record whitfield is better than aliens wrong but friends is the best song Uh,
0: friends Uh, is a really good song uh, i disagree but i have an extreme opinion about that record
1: (laughs) Yep. except on days when time for people is you're also the only people i've heard who know who pulse ultra is Uh, Have you ever heard of the Chronicles of Izrafel? Chronicles of Izrafel. I'll check it out. Um, It's the guitarist from Pulse Ultra. I have not heard it for the record. Uh, Also, I'd like to plug the one good band to ever come out of San Diego, Psychotic Waltz. Sort of a progish power metal. I suppose I'll hear you talk about both of those bands in whatever episode I listen to next. And Uh, three,
0: (laughs) two, one, getting in the time machine now. Just kidding. I haven't heard those.
1: Yeah, spoilers. Yeah, we, we don't. But we might now. Um, keep up the good work and thanks for providing content for us uh, Paul thank you thank you so much for that email um, it's really stuff like that that, um, that that just makes me feel like you know we're not just doing this for no reason um, I love hearing from you guys that you checked out a band that we talked about that you'd never heard before um, and so that's, that's part of why we do this the other part is just to stroke my gigantic ego so you know both of those things were, were accomplished with that email so I, I, I really appreciate it we're not the only ones dude well, he needs to go over and visit our friends on Roach Coach that did a uh, episode on Pulse Ultra.
0: Yeah. We got a YouTube comment from Satanic Puppy Overlord in regards to episode 176, Goreguts. Hype! You're doing a non-new core band. We do a lot of those, even though we did a lot of core bands in the last few
1: weeks. Well, I hate to break it to you, but we're doing an episode on a core band, right? You know, like right now.
0: <laughs> Goreguts is one of my all-time favorite death metal bands dissonant death and black metal is some of the most interesting music ever in my opinion
1: uh, I largely agree man um, it's one of those things where you know and this is something that you know we'll get into at the end of the show but if you don't like the direction of the show or that we talk about X band more than we talk about other band a uh, Y band or band that you know of that you think that we would really dig I mean you can always reach out to us and let us know what bands you want us to talk about on the show, we do take those recommendations very seriously. I would say probably the past year, almost every band that we've talked about has been from listener suggestions. Because uh, if it was up to me, I would just sit there and listen to Zayo and The Contortionist all day, and I would just be fine with that. So, um, you know, if, they, if, if there's bands you want us to talk about, uh, you know, reach out. We're not necessarily a core podcast. We're not necessarily a new metal or a thrash metal or or whatever. We, we try to cover everything within the sphere of, of heavy music and every now and again we even go off the beaten path so um you know if you guys want to hear it we'll do it you just have to let us know speaking of roach
0: coach we just dropped an episode of discuss metal with Jennifer Sosha of the roach coach
1: and dude you nailed it uh, i don't know if i did so much as she did um i i i kind of kind of stumbled around on some of the stuff that i that i asked but uh, but no she was very 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 insightful answers and um, she just has a really good perspective on things, and, and I'm glad that we were able to kind of dig into that um, to, to, to kind of get into some subjects that were beyond the confines of just our shows. So, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun, and um, I would talk to Jenny again anytime about any band. Madball? I mean, we can make it happen. Let's do it. I know it's not a
0: secret to anyone who listens to this show on a regular basis, but just in case this is the first episode of Discography Discussion you have ever heard, John Beatty's gonna tell you all about brutally speaking.
2: Uh it's a it's a show. Sorta of like Discuss Metal. Uh except I usually have to go through publicists and can't talk about certain things.
1: <laughs> like what, John? And that's why I don't go through publicists. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: true.
1: <laughs> I go through uh, this new thing called Facebook Messenger.
2: Absolutely. Um, basically, it's an interview-based uh, show. Um, Dan and I talk on either end of the uh, actual interview uh, about the beers that we're drinking or just things in general, maybe some pop culture news, some music news, whatever. Um, it's, uh, we just did our 250th episode, which will be out, probably already be out by the time you're hearing this. Uh, with jesse's Zaraska of misery signals so if you for some reason have never heard of the show go over there you can go to brucebeakpod.com we have a website now you can literally find anything uh and then if you get lost somehow we actually have a link in our sponsor slash our friends thing and you can go back to discography discussion and catch up with anything that you might have missed there
1: which is usually quite a bit yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, and brutally speaking, it's, it's a lot of fun because it's, it's kind of my, kind of my goof off podcast in the sense that we kind of, we, we kind of joke around. We don't set an ultra serious tone, uh, unless we have to. And some of the, some of the guests that we've had on, uh, over the past few years have been, um, incredible. And, uh, you know, Jesse from misery signals is not the only Jesse that you have recently spoken to.
2: No, uh, I did a very discography discussion esque uh episode with Jesse from kill switch engage where we talk about everything not kill switch engage so the like 17 other projects he did pre and post uh his time in kill switch engage and including like the four that he's in right now uh including the weapon uh which is a really cool punk band uh with their uh guitar tech uh josh who has been on the show a couple times and uh A fun thing we've been doing lately, and you'll probably start seeing discography discussions start doing it as well, is uh, the Facebook and Instagram live stuff. Um, We've been doing a couple more interviews via that, uh, just for shits and giggles, uh, because we have so much content, we don't want to bog ourselves down, so that's the only way we're not really uh, creating more work for ourselves, uh, is to do fun outlet things, to still kind of be creative, quote-unquote. I learned that from Dan, actually. And this...
1: (laughs) Hey, you know, these things happen. Um. Yeah. So I guess that's it, isn't it? Good night. 2005 <laughs> of Love and Lunacy. So I have to give a shout out to my friend Buddy Reno, like right away, because this guy was the ultimate peddler of this album. He was the ultimate shill. Oh, my
0: God. Uh,
1: for, for, for Still Remains uh, when this record dropped. Hey, guys, um, of Love and Lunacy, you should listen to it right now. Buddy really wanted a very specific brand of bread and butter that only Still Remains was able to provide for him uh, that year, that moment. Because I remember him and I were having like a really serious conversation about something. It was Zayo. And he and he was mad at me. No, it wasn't about Zayo, but he was <laughs> mad at me. He was mad at me about something. I can't remember. We were at a Burger King. Um. Yeah, and we, we were digging change out of my car because that's the way we used to do things is we'd dig, like, two bucks out and get, like, a, a burger each. <laughs> I was much skinnier back then. Uh, but we uh, we were at a Burger King, and he was mad about something. And then he just, like, looks at me because I said something probably dumb, like, joking about something. And then he just looks me straight in the eyes. He goes, dude. And here's the thing. He's like, I, I just can't believe about you. Like, have you even listened to Of Love and Lunacy? and i was like yeah i mean i listened to it it's you know it's cool i've got their ep i thought that was cool um they're good but at the time i was like really really into black metal so like i just was not in the mood for something like still remains and um and i was like look no i haven't really um but after we had that conversation and after he just endlessly was like yeah you know you should really listen to this record um i started really digging in and um this is interesting because, you know, as, as we've talked about previously on the show, I've always been a huge proponent of the, like, um, the the original Metalcore sound, like your dead guy and Converge and, and Zeo and embodiment and, like, early living sacrifice and, and stuff like that. Like, I'm really into that stuff. Um, so, and, and I had kind of moved away from the kill switch engage as a dying style of Metalcore. But what I found interesting about Still Remains is that, especially on of love and lunacy they were absolutely everything that i hated about that type of metalcore but (laughs) but there was no denying the actual songwriting ability so once i once i got back into that headspace of i like this kind of music um i found i found some like really awesome bangers on this record um recovery which was on the ep if love was born to die that was on the ep and like those songs were great on the ep but they're enhanced infinitely on of love and lunacy they are given the they are given the big time production boost that they that those songs needed um another personal favorite on that record was uh, blossom the witch um just because it starts off very very melodic and kind of like eerie sounding and then it gets like really pretty and then in the middle of it they just completely change gears <laughs> and just and it just it it turns into just all out like brutal screams and what and breakdowns and stuff and what i liked about um about this record also was uh, TJ's vocal variety because he like really would switch up his screams like like a lot of it is kind of a deeper like more like tough guy like hardcore sound like like an in your face uh but then he whips out this like zao esque higher pitched growl and he always does it in like the perfect moments on the record where it's like okay we're gonna kick up the intensity right here uh and then of course that, that guttural death metal growl at the end of recovery is uh, is the stuff of legend um they never really did anything else like that again. And that that song really, really, really stood out to me. Um, and then, of course, then there's the hits. Uh, the Worst is Yet to Come. Hell yes. Uh, yeah, that song is, is, is awesome. Um, one of the first singles I heard off that record. Uh, and uh, obviously, uh, White Walls. No, not that White Walls. Shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is the Still Remains version of White Walls. And um, they had this really, really cool way of blending metalcore and, like, hard rock sensibilities, and um, there was a huge boost in the clean vocal department on this record versus the EP, whereas the EP had a little bit more of, like, what you would hear out of, like, a I, I don't know how to, how to really describe it, but, like, it, they, they were more, like, punk, you know, emo-type vocals on the EP, um, and I didn't ever really feel like that really fit with their sound, uh, and that was all, like, completely removed and fixed for Of Love and Lunacy. So you get, you know, more of a hard rock. It's, it's a smooth, clean vocal, but it's, um, but it, I don't know. It just sounds more um, impactful, I guess, if, if that's the way to describe it. And I totally forgot you guys are here. What did you guys think of Of Love and Lunacy? Dude,
0: I love this record. For me, in 2005, it blends in with all of the Killswitch Engage-esque metalcore. It has that consistent sound. But talking about the production in 2005, there are so many examples of mainstream heavy bands that just had shitty production that year. This record is not an example of that. When I think of metalcore, and I think of that Killswitch Engage style of, it's thrash, it has the Gothenburg influences, we scream here, we sing here, I want it to sound like Still Remains. I don't think there's anything here that's above and beyond better than any other metalcore band. But if it wasn't entertaining, I wouldn't be listening to it. And I definitely know, still remains when it comes on my playlist.
2: Yeah, I think something that's a little bit interesting, kind of to Joe's fact, um, and I've always thought it was kind of interesting as a whole, because this producer is. He puts out a lot of great records, but he's not really known for working within this genre, Uh, especially at this time, was Garth Richardson, um, or G-G-G-G-Garth. because it was. (laughs) garth yeah, I did. I thought that was just some weird thing. And then I, I think it was actually Jordan that was like, no, he stutters. That's why it's that's why he writes his name is that I was like, oh, my God, that's fucking terrible and great at the same time. Um, but, you know, I remember actually reading a guitar magazine with uh, the singer from Chevelle. And he was talking about when they did uh, Wonder What's Next, uh, which I think came out around the same time, actually. And they were making the comment about how Garth was like, dude, there's a sign in in the guard studio says "fuck live basically saying like it doesn't matter what you're going to be doing for the live it just matters what you're doing right now for the record right and i think as a result of that it actually gets a lot of great recorded takes from the bands that he gets and i think to kind of joe's point why things don't sound maybe as dated because it has more of that live in the room feel to it and kind of something to dan's point I think we all can agree if you listen to a lot of metalcore around this time where, you know, thinking of like a Chiodos or some of these other bands that incorporated keys and synths and so forth, a lot of times, especially on the record, they were so overwhelming in the mix compared to everything else that it just, it was kind of almost either an afterthought or whoever was doing it just had no idea how to blend everything and mix it right. And I think this is one of the first examples really of this era of metalcore where you have really tight production where the guitars are crunchy enough and heavy enough for what you want, especially in the breakdowns. The keys add a nice little melody to behind the background, along with the vocals and so forth. And we just really didn't see bands doing this this well, especially on a quote unquote first record. So I think for a lot of people, this was an introduction to a newer style of of metalcore that maybe we weren't used to hearing at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean... I. I would say, like, I think we were used to hearing it, but I don't know. Like, it's 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 hard to describe how a band is unique uh, when you're dealing with this style, um, especially when, you know, w- what is the average age of the band members on this record? Um, 2005, w- uh, probably. Early, uh, early 20s at uh, latest?
2: Yeah, probably like around 21, 22, I think.
1: So, you know, with with a band like this, in order to be successful in 2005, you had to have um, you had to have those melodic death metal style riffs, uh, which they had. Um, you have to have some breakdowns because the kids got to do something uh, while they're watching you play live. Um, and but you also have to have something that was going to become bigger later, which was kind of that electronic element, um, which was you know for them it was their keyboards, which on this record they used as kind of more of an ethereal, uh, like an ethereal spice to what they were doing. Um, and of course you also had to have clean vocals because, you know, we want to be able to play this on radio uh, as well. Um, and so you take all these elements together and you might not come out with like the world's most original band, but again, there's something about the songwriting itself and the passion in the vocals and the, the, the delivery of the lyrics, which the, the lyrics were very, very, very personal. They were passionate. They were universal. I know, I know that Still Remains was credited as wi- widely as being a Christian metal band, but they didn't really. Um, it didn't seem to me like they really advertised that part of it too much, and their lyrics their lyrical quality was relatable to everyone uh, versus uh, versus some of other bands out there that that were much more blatant in that regard. And so, you know, and I don't really consider Still Remains to really be like a suit like a, like a Christian band, but uh, I think that that might line up with what like just what the individual band members, maybe that was what their, what their, what their personal belief system was. But, uh, this record obviously was huge. And I think, you know, part of that is because obviously it's on Roadrunner. Um, you know, a, a band like this, I would have expected to have come off of victory.
2: I figured solid
1: state, solid state victory. Um, maybe, I don't know if trust is still killed. around ferret or even BP, um, yep, ferret. Yep so you know like those are equal vision like those are the kind of labels that i would expect to hear a record from this uh like this but roadrunner you know was doing pretty well with kill switch engage at the time and um i think they had they still had 36 crazy fists uh that year and so yeah so they were they were definitely um among some good peers so it was really cool hearing this band who you know i got this ep from that was a little bit rough, but you could see you could see the potential. Um, and obviously, somebody in Roadrunner was like, "Let's give these guys a budget and have them go." Um, I think that they benefited greatly from that budget treatment. And uh, this record is ultimately uh, one of my favorites. I know they don't have a lot of output, but uh, like I said, this for for a debut record, this was just this was killer stuff.
2: So, fun story about this, and then we'll move on to uh, the serpent. Uh, I was living in Lansing when this record came out and I bought it at Flat Black and Circular and as I'm getting ready to leave uh, I keep noticing a dude uh, wearing a full like Canadian tuxedo and for those that maybe don't know what that is it's all denim uh, top to bottom <laughs> and so looking at this dude and like we're all kind of eyeballing there's only like maybe two or three of us in the shop and we're all kind of eyeballing this dude and there's like somebody kind of with the person but like not like being near them just kind of watching them And as I'm checking out, I was like, to the the clerk, I go, is that Chris Robinson from The Black Crows? And he's like, yeah, I think so. It looks like him. And I was like, huh. So I walked up to him, and I was like, excuse me, Mr. Robinson? And he was like, turns around, and he's like, hi. I was like, oh, hey. uh, Hey, yeah, I just, I I thought it was you, and I just wanted to say, you know, hi, uh, since I had the opportunity to and so forth. And I happened to have this CD that I had just bought. And he goes, oh, do you want me to sign that CD? And I looked down at it, and I'm like, I feel like that'd be kind of fucked up to like hand him a still remain CD and be like, you wanna sign my still remain CD from Chris Robinson? It'd almost be as awkward as like, did you have a, uh fuck, what's the dude from uh, American Idol? From the sword, from Step Brothers.
1: Oh, uh I didn't watch American Idol, I'm sorry. Uh something Jackson. There it is.
2: Yeah, whatever. Bo Jackson. Bo uh, <laughs> <Po> Jackson, yes. <laughs> uh,
1: we'll just say it was Bo Jackson. Sure. <laughs> um
2: but he was just like, Oh, Randy Jackson. Um, He was like, "Oh, did you did you have Randy Jackson sign your katana?" And he's like, "Well, yeah. What else would I have had him sign?" So I almost felt like Step Brothers wasn't out at the time, so I didn't have that for a reference. But it would have felt really weird for me to be like, here's my Still remain CD that's not your music, but here, sign it anyway. Uh, So needless to say, I did not have him sign this record, but I always remember buying this record for that very fact. And then he was like, do you want me to sign anything? And I was like, no. And I was like, just wanted to say hi. (laughs) 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 And then I was like, what are you doing here? And he goes, I'm on tour. After I was just like, oh, I'm a huge fan of yours and like your solo stuff. He's like, I'm on tour. And I was like, oh, didn't even know that's
1: hilarious
2: well this is also that era dana and i were talking about where in your life where you're living on your own and you're broke and can't afford things like a computer or internet or smartphones because those technically didn't really exist back then so yeah that was that era where i was like i have absolutely nothing and i had no way to even know that you were coming here so it is what there it you is.
1: go there you go
0: 2007 the serpent
1: okay um i'm
0: gonna i'm gonna you, you know, know dan no I'm, I'm not gonna let you shit on this first thing so how about we have some positivity
2: first i okay. like i like this record um i think the fact that you lost another lineup change you have a different drummer and you have a completely different keyboardist which is a huge part of this record because i think where we were talking before about how the keyboards were more of a ethereal background complement to the music this is more of a lead instrument now on this record And I definitely think uh, this is an example of a band having some success with some singles, like you had talked about with The Worst Is Yet to Come, White Walls and so forth, and trying to go maybe in a more melodic uh, approach. Um, I know a lot of the people in the bands uh, listening to stuff that isn't what they play. I mean, that's a big thing you always hear whenever we do any of these interviews, I don't listen to the music really that I play, I just happen to be in a band that is this. i I think there's a lot of interesting songs on this and i think there's great songwriting i think what doesn't help is the production i think the production steve evitz is a great producer i think we have plenty of examples even speaking to dead guy from earlier of what steve evitz can do i think there were just too many new elements to this record and i can't necessarily speak to if the label was involved in going hey we need you to kind of have a bigger single we want a lot more out of you Um, I also wonder how much of like the European touring the band did, because they were big over in Europe playing with bands like Bullet For My Valentine and so forth, if any of that had something to do with the difference in sound on this record. But I think this is actually, when you spend a lot more time with it, I think this is actually a pretty solid record if you give it a fair shake and don't try to necessarily compare it to anything else.
0: So that thing you said about how the keyboards are at the front of the band now, they're the focus of the Mm -hmm. melody, That doesn't work very well with Metalcore in 2007. I think the expectation is that the guitars are going to be huge, the drums are going to be huge, and the keyboards are just going to be on top, accenting the melody. That's what they did on the previous record. This album does not sound as big, but the songs are not bad. I think it just doesn't sound like a 2007 Metalcore release. And some of that might be the lineup change. That might be we have a new guy here to play keyboards and he's just really trying to find his spot. But I don't think we wanted the Metalcore release by Goblin. Because that's who the opening track reminds me of. It sounds like the soundtrack to Suspiria is about to go Metalcore.
2: You gotta admit, though, that The Serpent itself as a song is a really good leadway into the wax walls of an empty room, as well as, I think, something else that you start seeing, and I'll use Atreyu as a great example. So, Atreyu comes out with a curse. That comes out with an intro-y kind of thing, which is what would become the intro music when you go see them live. I think bands, when they get to a second record, kind of start thinking about live parts a lot more, because they've spent the last year or two Playing these songs that maybe were more, as we were talking about earlier with Garth, don't fuck live, don't think about it, think for the record. And I think a song like "The Serpent," even though you're kind of shitting on it, it's like I think song um, to come out and be a thing where song to come out, and then everyone kind of hits that you know twelfth on, on the guitar or whatever on the cymbals, and then boom, here comes you know your first song. And I think for that, that's why I kind of feel like this was more of a, a great live uh, thing where it, it kind of fil- flows a lot more,
0: has more. Uh, poop throughout it to me. And that is usually the story with these bands. After you've made the record where you've spent weeks playing six layers of guitars, you wanna play what you're going to play live. You wanna play what you wrote. So it becomes more acceptable from the artistic side to just play the guitar left, right, put the keyboards on it, bass and drums and vocals. It's a little more classic production, but it's not, the metalcore explosion that everybody expects when they hear
1: this band. Do I get to talk now? <laughs> nope. Okay. Well, let me, let me start off with, with a couple of things. Firstly, in 2007, you know, metalcore is great. Metalcore was, was the, the trend of metalcore uh, in the early 2000s all the way up to about 2007, 2008. Um, a lot of these bands got popular doing the same sort of thing. Um, you know, we talked about on the Unearth episode about you know how I really wasn't stoked on the quote unquote classic Unearth records, and I liked the stuff that they had done after uh, after they kind of broken out of that sound and started kind of redefining what the Unearth sound was. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with a lot of these bands got popular off of a certain sound. Started going on these tours and looking around and realizing that all the other bands on the tour sounded like they sounded, and that the, everybody was kind of reaching out of the same collective bucket for inspiration. And so I think, I think that largely could explain why Still Remains writes these songs uh, that year. Let's be honest, the songs were probably written in 06, but uh, you know, in '06, 07, you know, you you want to do the thing. That is gonna be your breakout sound. Because as good as Love, Love and Lunacy is, they could have been any band that put that record out. in the sense that like influences alone, right? Um so they're gonna wanna they're gonna wanna go for a more melodic sound, maybe, maybe do something that's a little bit more rock. And again, I don't know if this is Roadrunner being like, Well, you know, kill switch of gauge is great, but look at what Nickelback's doing. Um, I, I don't know if that's what's going on, but this was definitely an attempt to diversify what still remains was capable of as a band and i think from a songwriting perspective it succeeds in that they they were able to do something different without necessarily alienating a, a whole group of fans you know like what we were talking about with like the showdown how temptation come my way was a complete genre switch um from a chorus of obliteration this isn't that necessarily. This is more easing you into kind of a newer sound for the band. Um, so, you, what you have on the Serpent is still remains is still kind of the kind of kind of the the backbone, the bones of this band. Um, but instead of getting mostly growled vocals, we're getting mostly sung vocals, and the sung vocals all, for whatever reason, have a harmony on them. Um, but for whatever reason, the way this is recorded even whenever the band kicks it into high gear and goes heavy, because I'm not saying this record is like flat, not heavy. It's all power ballads or anything like that. Um, It is more melodic. It's a little bit more slow paced, but whenever they kick it into high gear, they still kick it into Still Remain style, you know, metalcore. Um, But the way this was recorded, everything just kind of feels really flat for me. The guitar, the guitar tone is notably muted, um, they, the chords don't ring out. it's it's very it's so clean that it the aggressive parts lack the aggression that you would expect out of a band like this. Um, and again, they play these songs live. It, the, the guitars are gonna ring out. Everything that I'm complaining about uh, as far as the way the record sound is not a factor when you're watching the band play live. Um, But for whatever reason, this performance, even though I'm sure they performed perfectly fine in the studio, it was recorded to such a clean and pretty level that it it, it just it lacks so much aggression. It lacks so much immediacy um, that people are kind of looking for in heavy music. And so when you're listening to it, it's one of those records that, again, isn't necessarily boring, but you also have to pay attention to it because EQ wise, it's all on the same level. You know the heavy the heavy parts are are just as are are, are the same are, are at the same volume as the lighter parts, and so it all kind of blends together. There's no punch. You're not feeling the impact of the riffs. Correct. And so that's that's really my main complaint with it. I don't think that it's bad. I think experimentation is always a good thing, especially in this genre, because you might hook you might hook somebody that isn't necessarily into metalcore with a record like this you know um but i just don't think that overall it was a success and i blamed the, and i blame the production on, for that do
2: you think i mean obviously with roadrunner owning this i don't think we'll ever get this maybe we will do you think this is one of those where a a remix remaster would probably do this record a lot more justice do the songs justice
1: I think so. Yeah, if they if they gave it kind of more of a dynamic range treatment, you know, all I'm asking for as a music fan is that the loud parts be loud, (laughs) and the quiet parts be quiet. You know, because I'm not arguing against uh, a flat production either in the sense where like I don't want a record that's like super super loud to where like even the quiet parts are like clipping because they trying to they're trying to keep everything at the same volume um i think they call that what like the loudness wars or whatever you know where everything's just so ridiculously loud that nothing punches like everything just clips and just sounds fake um that's not really a problem on this record either they keep it at an acceptable volume but like i don't want to listen to metal at an acceptable volume uh if that makes sense so i mean that's that's just my take on it i do i think that i do think that a remix remaster would probably do a lot for this record but I don't want Roadrunner to do it because they remixed and remastered the, uh, glass, the first glass Glassjaw record, and uh, that was really not great. So, um, well, I mean, you can't necessarily polish a turd. So, well, I'm not going to get into this with you again, John. But you know, uh, I, I I think the Serpent again, it's it's fine. I don't think it's a great follow up for uh, of Love and Lunacy. Um, I I remember kind of my circle of friends being a little disappointed in the record, especially uh, you know my friend Buddy, who I mentioned earlier. Um, well, he was not about the serpent, especially after his loving devotion to of love and lunacy. Um, and then I, I kind of remember, like at this point, this is 2007. I remember still remains more or less just kind of fizzling out. Yeah, they broke
2: up a year later, 2008. They did uh, Warp Tour, and the weird thing is, you know, it's kind of funny we're, we are collectively talking about how the expectations for this record versus the reality of it when we all got it. Uh. You know i know tj and some of the dudes telling me stories of like you know because they did that uh, warp tour where the Ozfest was free so all the wads bands were basically on warp tour so you had like kill switch Asley dying them it dies today and a whole bunch of other bands and there's a youtube video of uh uh tj doing end of heartache with uh kill switch guys and i was like oh that's weird how did that happen and he was like oh yeah i guess howard was a huge serpent the serpent fan like he loved that record and so uh, he, you know, came up to me was like, oh, I love this record, blah, blah, blah. You should come up and do a song with us. And so it seems like a lot of the contemporaries, like their peers, liked this record. So, and you know, my wife and I were actually talking about it today, knowing that we were going to be talking about this. And she kind of made the same comment. She's like, I just don't like that record. And I was like, I think you know it can't be understated that this band was pretty big over in europe compared to here in the states and this sounds like a record that i think a lot of europeans would like a lot of like the keyboard parts you can kind of sing along to and all that kind of stuff uh if you've ever seen like the european audiences sing along to like electric feel or kids or whatever by uh mgmt so i don't know i uh it's so weird to talk about a band that's from here in grand rapids and here in the states and you're like they're huge (laughs) not here
1: yeah, I mean, it, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to get into the finer points as to whether or not I think that my opinion is more valid than the, than that of Howard Jones. Um, but <laughs> I, I do think, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to die on that hill, you know. Oh, sorry,
2: uh, Dan, your, your mic's cutting out. What are you saying?
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but I, th- I think that, yeah, this is this is not the grand misstep that, you know, we talk about on on this show a lot where a band put out a record that just defies all explanation as to why it was recorded or why they did it i totally get why the serpent sounds the way that it does um i i understand the mindset behind wanting to diversify there's nothing wrong with wanting to diversify um and at the end of the day you don't owe the fans anything you know at the end of the day you write the record that you're happy with uh because you're the one that has to play it for an entire year uh, <laughs> after after you put it out, so if you got if you got bummed out playing, you know, if Love Was Born to Die and Recovery and White Walls, and you wanted to write songs that didn't sound like that, then you write a record like The Serpent. And I get it, I totally get it. Some of those songs they were playing longer than you know far far before they recorded of Love and Lunacy. So I totally I totally understand it, and I think that this also though I don't think that the material is as strong on The Serpent as it was on of Love and Lunacy. Um, whether or not it's com- more complicated, be damned. Like it's just what I'm listening to um, and what I'm enjoying. You know, it doesn't matter if one record's more simplistic than the other. Uh, that that doesn't really factor in for me. I-, I think that I think ultimately they wrote the record that they were happy with at the time, but based on the record that they released next. And I say next, when it was really nearly, like, like what, six years later? Um, I think they also kind of maybe understood kind of where I'm coming from <laughs> as far as this record goes.
0: 2013, Ceasing to Breathe.
2: So, question for you, Joe. What do you think of how this record
0: sounds? If what you're looking for is a fast, double-bass-driven, riffs-for-days metal record... This is just a little bit closer to all that shit I said was missing on The Serpent. And for the record, John, I think The Serpent is a good record of songs, but it doesn't have the impact that Ceasing to Breathe brings back to Still Remains.
1: Well, absolutely. let's, Let's pause for a second. Let's talk about the breakup. Let's talk about how this record came to be. Because The Serpent came out and they broke up a year later and that was it for a while. Um
2: so I mean, many side projects come out of this out of this era
1: and I've actually got an interview with TJ scheduled for sometime next week so um, as long as that goes off without a hitch I'm sure he can kind of fill in some of these blanks for us Uh but I think but I was, I'm sorry I, I'm just curious as to why the band kind of went away and um, how they ended up kind of coming back and coming back this strong So, I know I know the
2: answers to some of that. Um, without giving too much of some people's uh, personal stuff uh, to this, I'll just simply say, you know, something that we talk about quite a bit on Brutally Speaking and actually something I kind of brought up when I interviewed TJ a while ago um, was, you know, something that we kind of touch on over there is the fact that a lot of these bands that we're so in love with were signed basically right out of high school. And you are not even a real full fully realized adult at that point you're still kind of basically a man child and then you're given money to go tour the world with your best friends and be whatever that entails uh, making you know financial mistakes and so forth that you may but the other thing too is you know you come out with a record and maybe there's you know you lost half the band because honestly like I said I think other than Jordan Mike and TJ everybody else was gone so these are all new people you're working with, and maybe you're not gelling with those people necessarily. And then maybe some of the songs you're not really into because they were somebody else's or they were voted upon. Because that's the thing that also sucks, kind of, about having you know so many extra musicians is now you have extra people voting uh, in favor of something maybe you're not into. And you know, a second record is kind of your make or break record as far as proving you know was the first record a, a fluke or were you destined to keep going onward and upward. And I think just a lot of those things, especially in your mid 20s, if it's deemed a quote unquote failure and you see so many of your contemporaries going around, it's probably going to lead to a lot of infighting and a lot of pointing the fingers because you I mean, obviously, that's kind of what we all do. That's our first instinct. A lot of times is to go, well, I didn't want it. That person fucked up. I didn't want to do this anyway. Right. So I think I think there's a lot of that. Um and you know what's kind of interesting and i know dan and i kind of talk about this quite a bit too on uh, brutally speaking is kind of following when a band breaks up following the individual members uh, and kind of seeing where they go what they put out musically uh to kind of give you a better representation and understanding of those influences being put together in the main band um i know TJ's a really big like 90s alternative fan um kind of maybe why it still remains is based off of a stone temple pilot song uh i've never actually asked him that but uh You know jordan and bone ended up starting another band called anthem alone and it looked like it was going to go pretty good uh they had Tap spencer who would actually leave anthem alone to go join periphery so i can only imagine how that would have gone but um as a whole it was kind of interesting you know a lot of the guys started up bands mike church started a band called julius that was like a pop like a power pop rock band um which kind of makes sense if you hear his voice and stuff like that and it was interesting to not really see any of the guys coming out and supporting the other bands um so i think that just kind of showcases a lot of burnout of seeing those people being around those people and i think it wasn't until they did um the haste the day final show what was deemed the final show at the time uh down in indianapolis that got them back together to at least perform that one time and then that kind of is what resurrected the band getting back together. And I think that was like 2011 or 12, I think, when yeah. Haste the Day called it a day. And then they did the inevitable Haste the Day uh, Burning Bridges anniversary show. And then that was kind of with the newer lineup that had been writing. And then here locally, they were doing small one-off shows uh they did one where they did all of uh it was a regular show but in the middle of the set they did uh if love was born to die with the original lineup uh playing and that was kind of the spark really i think was just kind of the old and the new still remains kind of getting together and jamming and kind of refinding the love and especially playing the old stuff and I, if I'm not mistaken, that is what the catalyst was for basically starting the process of ceasing to breathe and then starting the GoFundMe for it and all that kind of stuff.
1: Well, I'll let you know after my interview whether or not you were wrong. Um, <laughs> Probably got some of that wrong. It happens. Yeah, I get stuff wrong all the time. It's one of my favorite things about doing this show. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, they definitely they definitely found the love. They found the passion uh, again because, uh, well, let's let's talk about this record.
2: I the one reason and just to kind of finish the one thought, the reason I asked Joe what he thinks of the record as far as how it sounds is because, uh, as I just said, it was a GoFundMe thing. And uh, Mike Hadillac from It Dies Today, their guitar player, came out here and recorded this in my church's basement. So this is literally a home recording. And I know Joe talks a lot about that on this show. So that's why I was trying to figure out and ask him, like, what did he think of the sound of the record since he's such a proponent of
0: of that? Well, John, this is 2013. That glorious MacBook that you see sitting in front of Dan is the number one tool of the home recording enthusiast and even some professionals who mix and record in less than ideal conditions. But metalcore is one of those genres that is so production formulaic It is not difficult to reproduce in a less-than-ideal scenario on less-than-ideal equipment. I would say right now, if you've never recorded or mixed an album yourself and you're trying to learn how to do that, you are going to have less difficulty finding tutorials and templates to record and mix your groundbreaking metalcore song than you would for, say a classic rock record or a jazz record where you have to actually balance the musicians in the room. Metalcore is more of this is the big sound that we make and less about the atmosphere of the room itself. So it sounds good, but you're not trying to over-execute, if that makes any sense.
1: Well, I would say that the production quality on this record is really one of its biggest strengths. Uh, because it is so raw. Yeah. So like, I mean, this is this is an interesting third record because this blows of Love and Lunacy out of the water. This this obviously, you know, the ser- the serpent isn't even like part of the equation here. <laughs> um, it's really not. This is this is some of the most brutal still remains stuff uh, that I've heard. There's no stops. There's no management. There's nobody saying like. Hey, you know if you did this or if we you know add a add a dropout of to just cleans or 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 whatever like this is just this is just straight up like it's so much later than of love and lunacy that it's it's like it, enough time has passed now to where when they're playing similar type music that it's actually nostalgic now and and feels good to hear with modern production but I mean, this is this is a riff attack unlike anything else that they've ever had before. Um, these songs are infinitely heavier than any of their previously recorded material. Um, the vocals are far more piss and vinegar. Um, it's funny though because the cleans are improved as well. So you have you have cleaner, you you have super clean choruses, but they don't sound flat uh, or boring like maybe they sounded on the on the serpent, and they're. They're more in the songs. They don't. Sl- it's almost like more of the Slipknot approach. I used to judge a lot of bands like this, where I would say like one thing I hate about bands that sing and scream, is that nobody does it like Slipknot does. Where when Slipknot throws in a clean chorus, the intensity of the song doesn't go down. If anything, it ramps up because all of this craziness is all going on at the same time, and still remains captures that on this record. Because the the choruses and stuff they they don't slow the songs down. This is a record. I mean, the record's called Ceasing to Breathe, and um, and you get that because there's really not a lot of breathing room uh, on these on these songs. Um, it is straight ahead. It is super heavy. It is completely in your face. I mean, they got Dan from Zeo on the first on the first song, uh, Bear Your Teeth, which was incredible, and like just hearing just hearing hearing Dan and TJ trading off. Uh, was one of the most gratifying experiences for me as far as hearing, you know, being fans of both of those bands. And um, it was just it was so cool. Like do I ever say that? Like this is just a cool no, record. You don't.
2: <laughs> this is this
1: is uh, this is a this is the kind of record that like you know, and it, it the, the narrative definitely supports it in the sense that they're like, man, we did this thing, we gave it our all. We kind of burned out on it. And now that we've had a little bit of time to recoup, um, we're we're kind of back to back to the meat and potatoes of like what this band sounds like and what an actual progression on our sound really looks like. And in this case, the progression was the heaviness. This is, I mean, it's not deathcore heavy, but it's definitely on the on the more extreme end of metalcore. And um, they just, I mean, this was this was a killer comeback record. This is one of the ones that like. I will point to whenever I'm like, yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna disappear for a few years and come back with something strong, this is how you do it. Like I was gonna is-
0: suggest that somebody in the Still Remains camp was worried that Dan was not gonna buy the record. So somebody walked in and said, Guys, I got it. Put bare your teeth on track one. He'll buy it.
2: Well, even a fun thing to that, I know TJ has said that he is a huge Zao fan, obviously, and that he would love to have Dan do and be a part of further still remains stuff whatever that ends up looking like akin to how like Mark Lanigan is on a lot of the uh Queens of Stone Age stuff so hopefully if there's ever another still remains hopefully Dan and him will get to do something else
1: yeah that would be really cool um to answer your question Joe no i don't think anybody was thinking about whether or not i was going to buy the record um i do not I, I i did not then nor do i still uh have that kind of pull with anybody that makes music so you know, maybe after thirty years of doing this podcast, like it'll be like, I wonder what Dan from Discography <laughs> Discussion would say about this one, like, um, but probably not. So, um, but yeah, this record is this record is killer. I, I recommend it a thousand percent. I backed it, you know. Um, just like, did just, you
2: literally back it? Did you? Were you one of those that supported the GoFundMe?
1: Yeah, did you? Okay, it, yeah. I guess I have um, to look for
2: your name in the thank you list.
1: I think I only gave like ten bucks, so yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I made the cut for any of the special stuff, but I got the I got the record when it came out. You know what I mean? Like that was my. Um, I'm not one of those. I'm not one of the big time supporters where I'll like throw it throw like four hundred to five hundred dollars to get like you know partial producer credit or you know <laughs> Skype in Skype in with the band. Uh, I can happily say uh, after four years of podcasting that I uh, don't. I've never had to pay anybody yet to talk to them on Skype, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, no, this
2: record was, uh, and still is, I was listening to it a lot today um, and just remembering how I felt when it came out, because, I mean, there there was sort of that, like, a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing of, like, what still remains am I going to get? Am I going to get the serpent or am i gonna get of love and lunacy style and you know with it kind of basically other than the bass player at this point being the original band at this point back together i kind of figured we were going to get something a little more aggressive and a little more in line with of love and lunacy tighter tracks and so forth and you know bare your teeth coming right out the gates you're just like holy shit but then i mean even looking at a song like crone i think that chorus is just massive it's like an earworm that gets stuck in your head and you can probably buy the second chorus you pretty much could probably hum along with it if not know most of the words because it's it's instantly recognizable and i mean closer to the grave like there's just
1: so many dude that's my yeah that's a great song Yeah. yeah
2: there's so many good good uh songs on this record it's it's a it's a real album and i think that's kind of for a lot of people that's sort of what was missing on the serpent versus a love and lunacy is people didn't take it all in as a full record it was oh here's this couple songs i like and the rest is kind of anime um which sucks because i think a song like avalanche off of uh the serpent is song that a lot of people don't even know is there
1: yeah i mean i I like final fantasy also you know (laughs) (laughs) better than jason wisdom um
2: and i I know that was castlevania but um, no, this is a great record. I honestly figured that this would have kind of reinvigorated the band. I know they did their, their own European tour. I think they did a Resurrection Fest out in Mexico, um, did some very, very, very light touring. I think they did a CD release show here. Um, I honestly was expecting someone to, to kind of maybe come in and, and offer them, you know, another uh, label or something like that, like get to sign them. Uh so I have no idea really what's going on with the guys now. Uh obviously Jordan started to kill the lights with a uh, moose from uh Bullet for My Valentine, so I know they're waiting for all this bullshit to get done and put out their record and probably start touring, but you know, everyone kind of the same thing that you know Dan's been doing a lot on the discography discussion. Yeah, you know, we all got kids and family and jobs now, so you know, touring's a lot harder and probably just do the weekend warrior type thing or some flyout dates where it makes sense, but um this is a band, especially on this record, I, I feel like there's there was so much renewed energy and a lot of life left that it's like, man, I just want more. I don't know if I want more touring in whatever capacity that looks like or just more recorded output. But I also don't know if people care, honestly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I care uh, for sure. I think, uh, you know, it's hard th- quantifying that this record came out seven years ago because I still listen to it fairly regularly. Um, Same. Same. And that's that's between all the stuff I have to listen to for the show. Like I have to make time uh, to listen to records that I just like to listen to. This one absolutely makes the cut, like a hundred percent. And um, yeah, it's hard to believe it. Was, it was hard to believe it was seven years ago. And then the last little quip I have on this record too is, uh, you know, we were talking about Buddy and how much he loved of Love and Lucy. If you could have just seen the look on his face the first time you heard this record, it is it is akin to buying like buying one of your kids like the number one Christmas present of that year like maybe you had to punch a bunch <laughs> of old ladies maybe you had to punch a bunch of old ladies in the face at Target to get it uh, but you know you got it and just to see the look on that kid's face this was the absolutely the look on buddy's face when he hurt bare your teeth he was like oh my god this is it this is this is this is this is absolutely the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life final thoughts on still remains Dan you really need to check out Still Remains if you haven't heard them before. Um, if you like keyboards in your metalcore, they've got that. If you like singing in your metalcore, they've got that. Uh, if you like songs that will actually stick with you and aren't just a collection of weird riff and and, and inexplicable changes, uh, they, they got you, man. Uh, they can be brutal when they have to be brutal. Uh, they can be passionate when they have to be passionate. They can be super melodic, too, if that's your bag. Um, they're, they're just kind of the kind of a whole deal. Um, and uh, I feel like they're a band that is horribly underrated, especially for especially for being on Roadrunner and having having that level of push. Um, it does shock me sometimes when I ask somebody like, um, if they've heard still remains, most people haven't, and that just doesn't seem right to me. John, what about you?
2: It's so weird sometimes talking about these bands, you know, for me, like something I've told Dan, and uh, you know we've we've kind of talked about this through texting and so forth is sometimes you forget that bands that are from your area are as big as they are, that they were assigned and, and did as much as they did. I look at a band like Law Dispute and a lot of times I'm just like, oh yeah, I forget that that's not just a local band. Like, you guys would have probably have heard of Law Dispute, they're not just a small local band. Um, Still Remains was kind of that for me. You know, they were obviously a part of the, the metal scene that I kind of grew up going to go see locally and having friends that obviously knew them and then having some of them become my friends. I don't really think of them as a band that everyone across the world has heard of and probably has seen and and is a big mark of their early metalcore days. But I think that that also speaks to the impact that any band can have. And I think Still Remains started off being one of those bands that a lot of people saw a lot of promise and potential in. And for whatever reason, Uh, Maybe Dan can get into more of that in his conversation with TJ. They just never really kind of were able to fully live up to the expectation that I think a lot of us had for them and kind of became one of those bands that for a lot of people maybe is a, yeah, whatever happened to them? Because as Dan and all of us have just said, Ceasing to Breathe is probably arguably their best record. But a lot of people don't know that it exists because it was a crowdsourced record not put out on a label. They didn't really tour it. And as such, didn't really put out a lot of promotion behind it. So if you were a fan of the band, then you know how great this record is. But unfortunately, I, I feel like it's a disservice that their best work is kind of probably going to be forgotten because a lot of people have forgotten about that band because they weren't one of the preeminent bands that made it to the next level. Like a switcher as Lay dying. And that's really sad because they're a great band.
0: Anytime you have a different genre of music become the popular music of the decade, you always have the big name bands that come to mind anytime someone talks about metalcore. It's going to be As I Lay Dying, it's going to be Killswitch Engage. Somebody's going to start an argument about Killswitch Engage as metalcore under oath was not and norma jeans not metalcore and hardcore and all these genre splitting conversations happen and those are good conversations to have if you're a fan of this music still remains as a band that writes just as impactful songs as those bands that you have heard and continue to listen to and if you're not paying attention One or two of those songs might sneak by you on a metalcore playlist, and you're going to go back and say, what was that song called? Oh, yeah, that was Kane. Still Remains? I didn't know they were still here, even back in 2013 when this record came out. The music is good. I enjoy listening to it. I think it's challenging to come up with a reason that this band stands out that other metalcore bands are not doing themselves but it's also not a style that can be innovated that way so if you are a fan of heavy music you like riffs and some fucking groove with some serious melody on top of it you should be listening to still remains damn what's your album of the week
1: my album of the week, you know, I've been going back through some of the uh, some of the material that we've covered on recent episodes, so mine is Point of Recognition, Adoration of a Son. John, what about you?
2: I'm always the uh, oddball whenever I'm on this show. You guys hit me when some interesting shit's out. Uh, I've been listening to Legends Never Die, the new Juice World record that just came out. Uh, R.I.P. Juice World. It's a really great kind of all-over hip-hop kind of R&B kind of thing. Um... I think that dude was uh, really talented and there was a lot of potential for what he could have done. And sadly, uh, this is the last record, I think at least, unless there's more music somewhere, but this is the last record uh, we'll ever get from him. So if you're into uh, some other forms of music other than metal and hardcore, go check out Legends Never Die by Juice World. I'm I'm a big fan.
0: Motorhead, March or Die. It has Hellraiser on it. Do I need
1: to say anything else?
2: Xenoblades. (laughs)
1: take us out dft have you ever been listening to this podcast and thought to yourself man i really wish that they would talk about more dissonant death and black metal bands instead of all these core bands well i mean i got you uh all all you have to do all you have to do is uh send us a message uh, and there's a lot of different places you can do that you can do that on twitter at discuss metal You can send us an email at show at gmail.com. You can join our official Facebook group at facebook.com slash discography discussion. Uh, We have our main page there and uh, you could join the group pending approval. I don't just let anybody in there. Only cool people like yourselves. So uh, check that out. You can also reach out to us on discord. There is a link in our show notes to our discord server where there are people chatting all the time about the show, but oftentimes just their own recommendations. It's a really cool kind of community we have there. And when it starts getting cold outside, you might want to swing over to our official Teespring store. There'll be a link in the show notes to that. You can pick up a hoodie for $25. I highly recommend it. And
0: on that note, this has been Episode 179 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit discussmetal.com for all things discography discussion, and please send questions and comments to Dan and Joe Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discussmetal. We have some sweet perks. John Beatty and brutally speaking can be found at BruceBeakPod.com and on all your social media platforms.